if you don't focus on your culture intentionally, it will be set by the personalities of the founders. And so I recommend that every business think very intentionally about the type of culture that you want to create rather than letting it just happen spontaneously. I'm your host, Anna Malikian, and before we start with today's show, please remember to visit Mindset.Zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at Mindset.Zone. So today, our special guest is Anne-Claire Broughton. She is a B Corp, passionate in helping engage employees in the success of their organizations. Her work is all about employee engagement, talent attraction, and retention. She's also the founder of North Carolina Employee Ownership Center. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Anne-Claire. Thank you so much, Anna. I'm glad to be here. This topic, the topic that I want to focus our conversation today is quiet quitting because it's being one of the buzzwords around the, the media and the corporation world. And when I was learning about your work, I was, oh my gosh, she works for, I don't know, many years or decades in what I consider that in many ways that is the antidote for quiet quitting. But let's start with your definition of what quiet quitting is and why it's so prevalent nowadays. Sure. So quiet quitting is the practice of just deciding I've been asked to do more and more and more for no extra compensation I'm overloaded, I'm burned out, so I choose to just do the bare minimum. I'm not gonna make a fuss about it, I'm not actually leaving, but I'm only doing the bare minimum. And the reason why it's so prevalent, it's a combination of things. It used to be 30 or 40 years ago that there was a bit of a compact or an agreement between workers and employers and employers were committed to workers and workers were committed to the employers and they would stay for many years and build businesses and have pensions. And there was this agreement that both would take care of each other, but somehow that compact has been broken. And I think that workers no longer feel that companies are going to take care of them in any way. They feel expendable. They feel like they can just be worked to death and then let go. And we have seen massive layoffs in the last couple of weeks at some of our very large corporations with very little notice. And so I think that compact has been broken. And now uh, workers do not feel like they need to be faithful to, to companies. And then the additional layer is the pandemic. So people are burned out from the last few years. They've been working very, very hard. And trying to take care of their families and their children. And I think people are just worn out. So that's another factor. And 
there's actually one other factor I want to mention right up front. Mm -hmm. It's a population trend. And that drives a lot of what I do, which is that the baby boomer generation in the U.S. is a large group of people. And that generation is forecast to be completely out of the workforce by 2030. And so subsequent generations have just had fewer people. And so we're already seeing more job openings with fewer workers. And so more people are being asked to do more for less. So let's unpack this because what you say is so rich that I want to explore a little bit these dimensions that you are speaking. And it's really important that first I want to underline when you define the quiet quitting that the employee is doing their job description. It's not that they are not working. They are working and many times quite a lot where they draw the line is going beyond the job description. And you are speaking about these three forces that are contributing to this, the burnout post-COVID. They really, so many people went above and beyond and many didn't felt reward about all the effort that they do. So why bother to go beyond what they have to do? And also illustrates that other dimension that I think is very important to reflect about that previous generations, there was like a contract, implicit contract. I, I will work beyond and above what is in the job description and I will secure my job and I will take care of the organization with my best work and I will be cared by the organization to take care of stability. And nowadays that is not there. So if I'm treated as a clog in a machine, why should I go beyond what the clog has to do? Correct? That's absolutely right. Then that brings the other dimension because all of this is interrelated. That is the population trend, the baby boomer generation that you said that is tiring in the next 10 years. They had that the social contract, so to speak, much more ingrained of working really, really hard, whatever, even if they were not rewarded. And now new generations are daring to question it. Yes. So we know these tendencies, these trends. What can we do about it? Well, that is a great question. So the work that I do is all around employee engagement. And how do we align the interests of the company and the employees so that everybody prospers? And of course, with B corporations, that is a huge goal. I work a lot with small to medium sized companies where you really can intentionally set your culture. If you don't focus on your culture intentionally, it will be set by the personalities of the founders. And so I recommend that every business think very intentionally about the type of culture that you want to create rather than letting it just happen spontaneously. Okay, again, let me press the pause button because all that you say is so rich here. First, the big corporation movement, I want to speak a little bit about that because there are many people that probably are not familiar, but let me put that aside just for a moment because this that you are saying now about the culture is so important. 
And like you were saying, uh, with small, medium-sized companies, I think we see that so clearly because really there was somebody that found the company that really worked very hard to make the company grow and that were involved in everything and the values why they found the company, the culture that comes from them. And as they grow, sometimes they don't think about how to explicitly make or change or adapt that culture that has been developed to adapt to the growth of the company and to keep some of the fundamentals of it, correct? Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you have hit on an important point, which is that moment of growth. Because when you just start a business, it's a little bit, I think of it as the Wild West, and you're just trying to get it done, find out if your customers want what you're offering, build a team, build some systems. But at a certain point, you have employees, you have customers, you're growing. So that's when you need to focus on three main things. What is our purpose? Why are we here? And then what is our vision? Where are we going? And then what are our values? And it's really good for the company to do this together so that everybody is bought in. And so I really recommend keeping your purpose, your vision, and your values front and center. Your values are how you treat each other as a company and how you treat employees. And so they're very important to determine what they are, what they look like, and then reward them regularly. So build that culture, define it, get everyone's buy-in, and then remind yourself, it shouldn't be words on the wall. It should be something that we use every day. I have clients that read their purpose, their vision, and their values every day before they begin a meeting. They might quiz each other on it, and then they will reward each other for exemplifying those core values. Yeah, because I think there is a beautiful dynamic, or they say, when the starting of the company or that first phase that is that startup, I think there is a certain energy of starting of creating something new. The owners are extremely involved. The first employees also, they are very connected with the the vision and the purpose is when there is that growth that starts to bring more people in. If that work of explicitly articulate the values, the vision and the purpose and leaving it that culture that I think you are referring to, then is when things can start to break out. And even the founders start to feel this is not why I had so much work to create. That's absolutely right. So then the next step, and I often do come and work with companies when they're at that growth stage, is great game of business, open book management. We need to put in systems so everybody understands the business and everyone knows where we're going and everyone's excited to work towards that those goals. And everybody has line of sight between what they do every day and those goals. And so the way that I work with companies with great game of business is to teach everybody the business. We teach everyone how we make money, how we generate cash, what is the business that we're in, who are our competitors, what does the marketplace look like, and then we build a smart scoreboard that's based on your profit and loss statement, and it has 
line items around revenue and around cost of goods to directly produce our product or service and around expenses and then around profit. And then what makes our scoreboard special is that we put somebody's name next to each line item so that people throughout the business learn about these different line items and they come prepared to forecast how the month will end for each of these line items. And by looking at our simplified income statement every single week and forecasting the month's end and having conversations, you get people out of their own individual silo. They're talking to each other, they're seeing the big picture and they're able to strategize together about what do we do if revenue is a little lower than we thought? What do we do if expenses are a little higher? And you can actually take action before the end of the month. So it's a very live system. We're not looking at last month's financials and learning from them, although we do that also, but we are looking forward so we can make changes in real time. And it's getting people involved. It's not like there is the C-suite in a silo behind closed doors and nobody knows exactly what is going on. And we are here just putting in the factory line, putting one thing after the other is no. Okay, this, we are all in the same game. We are all part of, it's a win-win kind of scenario. I'm imagining more like a sport team that everybody has to, if they want to win at the end, everybody has to be rowing in the same direction and they have clarity about what is the purpose, where are the challenge that needs to be overcome. And by getting everybody involved in the process and in that openness about what is going on, people feel that they are contributing to something that they know what it is. That's exactly right. And It's so exciting to see light bulbs go off when people realize what they can do to improve the numbers or improve the score, to use the sports analogy. So I worked once with a printing company, and it was so exciting when some of the hourly workforce said, oh, we are using expensive $33 grease on all the machines, but only one machine needs that expensive grease we could use a much less expensive grease on all the other machines and save quite a lot of money. And so when people have these ideas, we give them a lot of credit and we implement them. So that brings engagement. Uh, But I haven't mentioned that we do have a stake in the outcome. So there is an annual bonus plan where everybody will get a portion of the additional money that they have generated. So it's not just the company makes the money on your ideas. We all know what our goals are and we have ideas that will help us work towards those goals and then we all benefit. Love it because I think there is in terms of the reward you are speaking about two rewards there that are so important psychologically to keep things going. I love this uh, way of involving everybody is also fostering the innovation from the bottom up. They are there in the front line and they can sometimes have ideas that somebody in the other side is not aware, like the example that you are giving, and they were recognized for that ideas and their ideas were implemented for the good of everybody. And 
because the recognition is really important and there is also the financial reward through the bonus system. Absolutely right. And the other thing is everyone knows where we're going. Everyone knows our profit number for this year is X and our revenue number for this year is X and they understand how they can contribute to hitting those numbers and they know what the score is at all times. So I love this and I love that you are helping companies doing this, but how do they deal the leadership? Because I, I love the principles. I love what you are saying. This makes totally sense, but I also am going to be a little bit the devil advocate. I'm the owner of the company. I love these. I bring you in. We implement all this culture. And then something like COVID-19 strikes or another crisis strikes that we have to rethink the business model or the strategy for the next year. And maybe we have to lay off some people or let some people or we have to do something. And probably you have examples of this in face of a crisis when our decisions have to be made. How can the, the leaders of the company do our decisions and still keep that culture of collaboration, of involvement, of engagement there? Yeah, great question. So many of my clients who had implemented this system and had those weekly touch points in their, we call them huddles, they were very happy that they had implemented these before the pandemic because having that weekly touch point to share the numbers with everyone to share with everyone how they were conserving cash and how they were going to protect everyone's job and what they were doing to preserve the business, it turned out to be a very important touch point. And we say that it's important to bring information to your people or they will make things up. So you can really keep the fear at bay when you just are transparent about what you're doing to protect the business. Another thing I saw a lot of in COVID-19 and also in the 08-09 recession, companies where top leadership chose to take a temporary pay cut in order to protect jobs. And in one case, once things got better, frontline workers had all of their pay increased and the top leaders still had a pay cut. And one of the frontline workers went to the CEO and said, when will you get your payback? We would also like you to be paid your full amount. So that was very powerful to me that not only were frontline workers thinking of their own well-being, but also of leadership. So it is challenging, of course, to be this transparent uh, when things are not looking good. But it's a way to get everyone thinking about ways to improve the business. So a great example in the pan beginning of the pandemic, a company that my colleague is connected to called Tasty Catering in Chicago. So they were committed to holding on to their employees. They were very transparent about how they were conserving cash and they had people doing deep cleaning and doing things they normally wouldn't have time to do. They also had the idea for their drivers when they would drive to deliver food to clients to scout out businesses that had full parking lots. And then they would call up those businesses and say, we see that you've got your employees in house. Can we bring you 
catering because that will be safer than having your employees go out to restaurants. So they were actively having people from every level figure out how to build the business. And then they also had a win wall. So during a time when things are hard, celebrating any win that you've got is really important to keep morale up. So I felt like they did all the things right during a really tough time. And I love, love this story because it's it's one of my principles that in business and in life, yeah, we can argue that most business problems are personal problems in disguise and most solutions in innovations come from the same people. We just have to unlock that human potential. And what you are describing is a way of unlocking the human potential that organizations have already there that they are many times not tapping into it. Exactly. And when they start to tap into it, it's just so exciting to see. And there is it's a new way of doing things and is treating things honestly as adults and believing in the good of the human nature that if we foster it, it can come up. And this takes me to the B Corps because the B Corporations is all about, okay, how can we use business as a force for good? How can we reinvent the for-profit to be a force for good? Absolutely. Yeah, using business for good. And the starting point is leadership. So you have to be willing to share information and you have to believe that there is that human potential and that if you teach your people the business, that they will share their good ideas back. And that if you trust people with the numbers, that they will really bring their great ideas to the table. But if you don't trust people and you don't share numbers, it's not going to work. And you have to be consistent because people are skeptical, rightly so. So you have to introduce this system, trust people with those numbers and consistently follow through and not just do this for a minute and then stop because that will leave your culture in a worse place. Yeah. It's a growth process to everybody involved. The leaders have to face their fears and yes. make hard decisions and do some personal development in the process and leadership development. And they are seeing the potential in their people and really believing in that is possible even when things are not working out exactly as planned. That's absolutely right. And so we do a lot of leadership coaching. We coach people around some of our core values of vulnerability and humility, courage, servant leadership. So all that power is is really important to see in a comprehensive way all the work that needs to be done. And I'm curious about, because I think it's for people that are not familiar with the B Corps, and you've been a big corporation for a while. Tell us about why that is important to you and how that is maybe connected with your mission in terms of employee engagement. Great. So B corporations are committed to all of their stakeholders. So yes, to their financial stakeholders, but also to their employees and to the community and to the planet. And so that fits with the mission of Broughton Consulting, which is all around empowering 
and wealth building for frontline workers who have been traditionally left out of the economy. So I was very drawn to the B Corp movement because business doesn't exist in a vacuum. We do exist in communities and we have great employees and we, we have an effect on the earth. So it's a wonderful way to learn best practices from companies all around the world that are also committed to these principles. Yeah. And for how many years are you a B Corp? Since 2017. Wow. And we have gone through one round of recertification. And this is also a very real certification. It is not greenwashing. It is always changing. So the B Lab community is very rigorous and they are constantly reevaluating all of their metrics and learning things and pushing the envelope to um, hold our community to higher standards. So uh, it was a very different process being recertified than being certified initially. And luckily there are a lot of good helpers out there. There's companies that can help you be certified and help you learn some of the, the best practices. Yeah, and I'm as a one-person micro-business like I have, I'm in that process now of, <laughs> and I had to engage somebody to help me because I've been thinking about this for more than one year and was always been pushing to a project maybe next quarter until I decide, no, let me involve an expert to help me to make it happen this year, the present year, at least moving things in the right direction. But it's the walking for me, the beautiful thing of the B Lab and the B Corps and why I want to become one is, okay, if we say that we have certain values, let's try to as much as possible walk our talk. Absolutely. And this is part of the process and is a learning journey. And I really love the work that you do because in many ways, uh, when you were speaking before, I was thinking about the work of Vitor Frankl and the search for meaning. And one of the things that he used to say that if we see people exactly as they are, maybe we, we are not seeing, we have to see their potential that is within them that sometimes they themselves don't see. Mm. And by seeing that vision of what is possible, allow people to rise to the occasion and do things that they didn't thought it was even in their horizons. I love that. And I do believe that people will rise to the level of your expectations. And so by having high expectations of people, they will live up to that. And so that's another thing that we talk about in leadership coaching. If you have low expectations, that's what you will, you will get low yes. performance. If you have high expectations and you teach people the business and give them some parameters within which they can work, people will rise to that occasion. And at first, people are a little bit suspicious and wonder if you really mean it. But if, if you follow through with consistency and consistent high expectations, wonderful things happen. Another business, it's called Zingerman's Roadhouse Restaurant in Ann Arbor, Michigan. They had a very high food cost and they were wondering ways to reduce that food cost. And it was the young man washing the dishes that said, you know what, I throw away so many French fries. What if we give smaller portions, but give free refills? 
And that way we still give wonderful customer service, but we save a lot of food. Wow. So that's small things, but what I love, it's possible. It's absolutely possible to change things and make things better. By doing all of these things, by becoming an organization that's committed to continuous learning, that has its its why statement, its vision, its core values, that's sharing numbers, that's celebrating success, that is giving people a stake in the outcome through an annual profit sharing plan, you will have a great competitive advantage as we move towards 2030. And in that year when all the baby boomers have left the workforce, companies that really have built this great, strong, engaged culture will have a competitive advantage. So huge motivation to start working on your culture now. Absolutely. So now tell us how people can learn more about you and your work. How can they keep developing and continuous learning about these things? Absolutely. So my company is Broughton Consulting, and you can visit broughton-consulting.com. And then the Great Game of Business website has so many wonderful resources and stories and case studies and blog posts and even tools. And that website is greatgame.com. And I will make sure that all these links are in the show notes of this episode. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible. For you, for the ones around you, for the world.